0: Texas they say everything's bigger here and they're right we've got big cars big hearts and even bigger stakes this is beef country Texas home to the Alamo the Cowboys and the largest military installation known to man. so big It has a big name, Fort Hood, the great place. It's got a Texas-sized podcast as well. And this is it, right here, Fort Hood's great, big podcast, Yeehaw.
1: learned a COVID life lesson. You did? I did. I uh, attempted to blow my nose. I was wearing a mask. Okay. I did not remove the mask completely. I had to blow my nose. So I moved the mask up. Yes. Blew my nose. Uh Uh-huh. And then moved the mask down and realized I had completely missed the Kleenex.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's bad.
1: Welcome to the great big podcast fort hood's podcast and the number one podcast in the u.s army i am charlie mabe and i am dave larson and brianna due is nowhere to be seen i've sent her a message well i assume that she will pop in in the middle of an interview as become her mo that's her shtick yep that's her thing so uh we got a really important show today but before we get to it i wrote a check Uh, And last week's show saying I was going to see a movie because the movie theaters are now open. You did. Yes. So I will give you my brief rundown of the movie because I said I would do that. Uh, And then we will get on with the rest of the show.
2: Before you get into what the movie was.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
2: Tell me about the experience.
1: The the social
2: distancing. Did you get the popcorn? Oh, absolutely. So,
1: you know, movies reopened uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. The first week that the theaters were open, it was sort of, you know, old older movies, yeah. sort of getting their mojo back kind of thing.
2: Yeah, stuff I wouldn't want to go see anyway.
1: So they started getting first-run movies on the 28th mm-hmm. of August, which is where when I went, um, all tickets were purchased online. Yeah. You couldn't purchase them at the box office. Okay. Um, when I showed up, there was a line. You could get popcorn uh, it was discounted as a welcome back kind of thing. So popcorn, a large popcorn was five bucks,
2: which is still outrageous. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm but sorry. it was less than it normally
1: is. Yeah, there were no refills. Okay. On on anything, which okay. I've never understood that because why would you want to get up in the middle of a movie for a refill to get another drink? Yeah, I'm, I've paid money to see this. I'm just going to sit there. Uh-huh. So uh, no refills on anything. There were people there. Actively sanitizing the the theater, uh-huh. constantly wiping down door handles and and areas where people might touch. All the arcade games were turned off. You know they didn't want people touching anything they didn't sure. need to. Sure. When we took our seats in the theater, there were so think of it this way: so it's me and my wife. Then mm-hmm. the seat to the right and to the left of me are. Well, not to the, the right, my wife and is. And these are like to the captain's left. chairs. These yeah, this, are good so these seats. are the giant yeah. things. So to the, the chairs to the right and left of of my wife and myself right. are empty. We're able to sit together. Um. So to my left, there's an empty chair. Mm-hmm. Then there's another empty chair. Then there's the guy who also bought a ticket for my row because for him, the chair next to him is empty. So it's two seats in between everybody. Okay, yeah, everybody. that makes sense. So you are... Totally safe. Okay. From you're not close to anybody at all. Cool. You know, uh, it was great being back in the movies. Yeah. It really was, for all the talk of... uh, I missed the big screen. For all the talk of, well, this is going to be the final nail in the coffin of cinemas because everybody just will watch movies at home now. We'll just release them video on demand. Uh, No, it's not the same. No, it's not. It really isn't. Just... Seeing the film grain yep. on the, uh, just a movie feel. The yep. movie, it's totally different than watching on the TV. Yep. Very enjoyable experience. And we plan to go back.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: We plan to go back. So, so
2: what did you see? And
1: I saw The New Mutants, which is a comic book movie, comic book movie yeah. based off a Marvel comic book that was uh, started in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've brought it back a couple times, but the main bulk of it is from the 1980s. These were the junior X-Men. So these were teenagers who were superpowered. They had mutant abilities, but were not members of the X-Men. The idea was that they would be trained and eventually be able to to take over. Okay. Um, but they're kids, so it's real growing up stuff. And I was a kid when I read the New Mutants, so mm-hmm. I identified you know, with their teen angst. There are sure. a lot of teen, teen angst, you know, okay. dating and stuff, but also sometimes fighting bad guys and weird stuff happens. Uh-huh. So, you know, oftentimes a lot of liberties are taken between a source, uh, be it whether it's a book right. or, you know, a comic book and the actual movie that's made. I will tell you that this movie is as spot on Uh, that they could have made the comic book as far as the the character and feel Mm -hmm. of it as any comic book movie I've ever seen. Wow. Amazingly. High praise indeed. True to the original premise. Okay. Having said that.
2: Uh Uh-oh, here it comes. Having
1: said that, it was directed like it was a TV movie. The cinematography was very flat. Right. um, And it has pacing issues. Ah. It does have pacing issues. So if you go online and take a look at the reviews, you've got it's getting killed, really? absolutely murdered online. Yeah, okay, just, just killed. But if you look at the reviews from people that grew up with the comic book, right? So somebody my age, mid forties, mm-hmm. they love it, and I love it because it's the comic book I read. Right on the screen, right. It's amazing. How did this happen? I never imagined that this would happen. So cool. The characters behave like they behaved in the comic book,
2: but it's not going to win an Oscar.
1: It's never going to win an Oscar. People expect, you know, this is this is not um, your typical Marvel movie, which is a lot of jokes, Uh flashy colors, big action sequences. Yeah, Um, this is not like that. It's very methodically paced, and it's it's people would say slow. Right. Yeah, they're all teens, so they're going through teen angst. Right. There's only one big fight sequence in the movie.
2: Yeah, that would be a problem for people that are used to the comic book yeah. movie. Yeah.
1: So think of it's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with superheroes. Wow. That's what the movie's like. So, so they're, all, it's, you know, they're yeah. all nuts? No, but they're locked <laughs> in a hospital. Okay. They have all... When their powers manifested, yeah, they all ended up hurting someone or killing someone. Oh, yeah. And so they've been put into a hospital to help them until they Gain better control. understand yeah. and have control. But everything is not as it seems. I it was pitched as sort of a suspense mystery horror take on the genre. And it is. Okay. Kind of. Which
2: is why it's getting panned.
1: Uh, that's part of it. Yeah. yeah. People walk into a superhero movie with preconceived notions about what's gonna happen. Right. I think also part of it is the just awful, awful cinematography. Well, there you go. You know, if you wanna make something scary and intimidating, mm-hmm. look no further than the shining. Right. Where just the way they shot the hotel mm-hmm. tells you everything you need to know about the hotel. Right. The same thing could have been done here because it's supposed to be a scary Abandoned, you know, mute uh, hospital, uh-huh. but it's flat, just completely flat. The buildings itself have no character, and they could have, and it would have made it that much more right frightening. Uh, it it there's no atmosphere to the film, bummer at all.
2: Is he acting at least good? Oh, the acting's great. Okay,
1: the acting's fantastic. Like I said, spot on with the characters. Okay, absolutely spot on. Okay.
2: So, uh, how many stars out of four? Three? three? From you. Three? I'd give
1: it three. Okay. Because they pulled off something I never thought I'd see. It's it's difficult because as a film, as a critic, uh-huh. there's so much more that, that could have been done. Yeah. As a fan, oh, my gosh, this is fantastic. Right. This is awesome. I right. can't wait to see it again. You know, so, you know, I'm of two minds. Bottom line, if you like the X-Men, if Mm. you grew up with the X-Men, go see the movie. Right. If you didn't, if you're used to your modern Avengers movies or the the Netflix Daredevil and stuff like that, the more modern takes on it, maybe wait for it to come to video on demand or a streaming service. Right. You know, but still, you should give it a shot. At least that way, if you don't like it, you can always switch to something else.
2: But the movie experience itself. Mm Mm-hmm. That's four out of four, right?
1: Oh, it's back, baby. <laughs> theaters theaters is back.
2: Okay. So what's the next movie on your your hit list?
1: Uh, Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted. But my wife has never seen any of the Bill and Ted movies, so we have to, I have I to don't, catch her up. Yeah,
2: you're going to have to play that or stream it for her. Yeah, okay. she has
1: to at least see the first one. Yeah. So she knows who Bill and Ted are and why why all this is happening. Right. Telephone yeah. booth, what? <laughs> Excellent. Wow.
2: Actually, it would be almost as fun for you to watch her watching it for the first time
1: oh yeah huh? oh yeah well watching her she'll probably fall asleep oh man it's very American remember she's Japanese and me? it is very american and of its time
2: yeah i'm thinking if she watches the first one that's kind of dated-hmm don't you think
1: i'll have to explain stuff to her so excellent means things are good bogus means it's not good yeah exactly so i'll be explaining that ah
2: uh, okay
1: all right well now that we've got that out of the way uh we move on to something much more important yeah. to be perfectly honest
2: well you know it's okay sometimes we have to tackle some serious topics
1: yeah yeah um and we do yes we do so we have the uh the whole reason why you tuned in to this one coming up right after these messages Where do you go to get the latest news from Fort Hood, Texas?
3: The Fort Hood Sentinel.
1: And where do you go if you want ideas for things to do in Central Texas?
4: The Fort Hood Sentinel.
1: What if you don't have a copy of The Fort Hood Sentinel?
4: Then I go to my local newsstand and pick up a copy,
3: or go online to www.FortHoodSentinel.com.
1: The Fort Hood Sentinel, Fort Hood's premier place for news and Central Texas information. Standing watch since 1942 Okay, and we're back. Yes, we are. So, this uh this podcast is a little different than the other ones. It's a little more serious. I know we we tend to him on the humorous side of things or the lighter. Yeah. Side although we can touch on serious subjects and this is this is one of those moments uh but I want to get into things talking a little bit about stress. Mm-hmm. It's something that both you and I oh yeah have experienced. Um we've both deployed you've deployed a whole heck of a lot <laughs> more than me. Yeah. Um so from your experience from someone who has been around the world. Right. Um Multiple times and, and deployed, redeployed, deployed with a family. What is it like, the, the stress of it all? Wow. Uh,
2: I think the hardest thing is when you're at least emotionally, when you're ramping up to go, mm-hmm. is at some point you have to uh, divorce yourself from feelings. And you know, in your mind, you've already left, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Clint Black. I did a I did a, a, a video feature on a family from 13th ESC when I first started here. Mm-hmm. And it was a three part series, and it was all about the ramp up, right? And these were these folks were really into church. They were a very tight family. You know, they prayed together, stayed together, all that. But and he was a warrant officer. Um, and the thing about them was. Um, there's a point where the service member you, you start to pull away emotionally because mm-hmm. you don't want to hurt anybody and you don't want to see, have let them see you get upset. Sure. As you're walking out the door. Uh, Oh, two when I, when we when I left with the cab, mm-hmm. uh, and we were in, I forget which gym, it was you know,
1: 2003, uh, 04 Okay. Four. Um,
2: This was like the first big one for uh, my wife, right? Mm -hmm. And we only had Ryan at the time. So, no, I'm sorry. Shane was a baby. Um, We're in formation, and you know you do the left base, you know, file from the left column left, and you're you're out the door and you're to the busses. So in the corner of my eye as I'm going out, I can see her. And she was, you know, stiff upper lip the whole, the whole time. Mm-hmm. But as I'm heading out the door, I can see her. She's just breaking down. And talking to her afterwards, uh, she couldn't drive for like 20 minutes. Um, and, of course, when I hit the bus, I broke down. You know, it's mm-hmm. not easy. It's not easy, the separation. And the flip side of that is, is where you're going, you don't know if you're coming home.
1: No, that's very, very true and
2: they don't know if you're coming home it's kind of like the uh the the you know cop on the beat or the uh, the the uh, emergency uh worker mm-hmm. um same same stress on families that they have they don't know what's going to happen one day to the next but uh that's what it's like
1: no and and I'll I'll second that i think if you're a civilian if you've not deployed to yeah. uh to a uh, an active war zone. Because mm-hmm. there's deployments, then there's deployments. Right. You know what I mean? So when you get downrange where stuff is actually exploding on a regular basis and, and things are happening, right? There is a level of stress that exists that you're not even cognizant of. You're not aware that you're under this amount of stress.
2: Well, that's the whole your heightened Mm -hmm. sense. Until you leave. But
1: but it's not like it's not a mental decision that you make. It's not something that they can even really do anything to prepare you for. It just exists. And it's such an odd feeling because it's a different feeling of stress than you get here stateside for something that is a stressful situation. You know what I mean? I'm in an argument. I've got suddenly I've got to figure out how to pay these bills mm-hmm. and balance my budget. And the the normal everyday living stresses is, is it's nothing like that kind of stress. It's right. completely different because that kind of stress is a life and death mm-hmm. stress and it, it does affect you. And you know how you said, talked about divorcing yourself from emotion when you leave. Sure. When the stuff hits the fan and you're downrange, you have to divorce yourself correct from emotion in order to do your job mm-hmm. and that's where you know PTSD and everything can come in because you have to take everything that's happening all this awful stuff and suppress it and yeah and just put it in a box and shut the door yep um and then that opening that door and having to deal with it mm-hmm. can really be awful because all of a sudden you're dealing with things that are not happening now but they did happen so people around you may not understand because they're like right. what are you talking about right but you did witness something and that creates a level of emotion and stress that i once again i think unless you deployed mm-hmm. unless you experienced it it's very difficult for you to understand sure you know and this kind of stress can really eat away at service members uh, you can mm-hmm. have the happiest face and the world, in the back of your head, yeah, uh, it's just this shadow right. hanging over you, right? So we've got some some people uh, to talk about. Yes, we do the effects of that and more uh, here today. Dave, why don't you, you introduce? Them? Sure.
2: Joining us today is Kenny King and Jana Melendez. Guys, thanks for coming in. Thank Good you. Morning. Appreciate you. Having they us. are the Fort Hood Suicide Prevention program managers, two of the three. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, uh, tell you a story, no names, but a a colleague of mine, um, veteran, uh, 20 year service member, um, talking about the happy face Mm -hmm. and, you know, just one of the funniest dudes that I ever met. And, uh, about a month ago took his, took his life. Mm -hmm. Um, the veterans there's there's over 20 i mean there was that there's that program out there 22 you know but i think it dropped actually mercifully down to 20
1: brianna did that the 22 22 push-ups
2: every day i mean there's a there's a thing on social media but um suicide is a big deal in the military community and among our veterans so um and September is Suicide Prevention Month, but uh, tell me, tell, I mean, both of you weigh in on this, the program, how is it working now, and, and, and what is your focus? Well, uh, our main focus here
5: uh, with the Suicide Prevention Program Is to try to reduce the number of suicides, reduce the number of suicide ideations and even attempts, not only here on Fort Hood, but also in the local community. Mm -hmm. And we attack that in a lot of different ways. We have a lot of different programs and resources that are available to individuals uh, that we really try to get the word out there to to try to make a difference in that. Mm -hmm. And uh, working with Miss Janen, working with Miss Bright uh, and everything that we do, it's a collective effort. Um, And every day we come in, we have to realize that the things that we say, the things that we do, we have that potential to affect someone's life in a positive manner to try to reduce those number of suicides. Mm -hmm.
3: Jen? Right, because, you know, like you said, suicide is a big issue. And for us, one suicide is one suicide too many. Mm -hmm. So we want to do everything that we can to kind of equip, you know, people to be helpers, people to feel more comfortable with having those difficult conversations, people to um, allow people to be able to, you know, recognize those warning signs or when you see someone who's experiencing, you know, multiple deployments, uh, relationship problems, increased stress, financial difficulties, Mm -hmm. like be able to pick up on that and take those opportunities to, you know, step in and check in even more so than they were doing before because they know that is something that puts someone in, at an increased risk Mm -hmm. for suicide. And it's just, I don't know. It's disheartening. Um, hearing that this is something that happens Mm -hmm. and not only in the military, but nationwide, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. um, tens of thousands of suicide or suicides are occurring every year. And globally, it's almost 800,000. So, um, it's just, yeah, it's hard, but we're doing what we can and we're, um, happy to be able to help, Mm -hmm the community as a
1: whole. So it's, it's it's hard for me to mentally understand what would lead someone to get to the point to say, I'm done with this. I don't want to exist anymore. Mm -hmm. It's more than just saying I'm going to move to a new city or I'm, you know, that's to this job I'm moving on. It's, existence is over. Yes, definitely. So uh, when someone comes to you, what what do you do? Walk us through the the process. What are the steps? Well,
3: it depends on, you know, what the person is is going through, their comfort level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're able to pick up on certain things that other people might not know or, you know, recognize. We like to say that uh, people give you, may give you an invitation. So if someone is, you know, talking about suicide or showing those, you know, warning signs, they're maybe reaching out for help without saying openly, I need help, you know, help me. I'm having these thoughts Mm -hmm. that I don't know what, you know, what to do with it. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about suicide. I'm, you know, I have a plan. And so you just want to be able to ask, you know, that, and that is one of the hardest things because, There's two options, right? When you ask a question, yes or no. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people may be hesitant because if I ask someone, are you thinking about killing yourself? You know, we tell people to be direct. If they say yes, what next? You know, like Mm -hmm. I don't, some people think I don't uh, know if I'll be able to
2: deal with that. Um, Yeah. Do you think people don't ask the question because they don't want to hear the answer? Of, Of course. Um, I think a lot of individuals, when it comes to that
5: realm of dealing with an individual that may be at risk of suicide, it's always that question, what next? Now, I've asked that question. Now, everything is on me. Mm -hmm. What do I do? Mm -hmm. And what we teach in a lot of our programs here on the Installation is that we just need you to ask the question Mm -hmm. because there's a wealth of uh, resources that are out there uh, for that individual where you don't have to feel like you're the only one and that sole responsibility falls solely on And so what we want to do is we want to create something within this local community Mm -hmm. that's much like a a fishnet. So you want to use those individuals that you know are trained at certain levels uh, to do their particular job. But we want to pull other individuals in that may just want to be able to look for those individuals that are showing those warning signs. Mm -hmm. And then you make that connection with that person that has that other resource and making that net draws everyone tighter. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's kind of hard to let people fall through the net, if you will. So it's almost like using a fishing analogy. The bigger the net, all the smaller fish are going to fall through. Sure. When it comes to suicide, what you want to do is tighten that net so that you try to lessen up the fact that someone may fall through uh, the net. Do as much as you possibly can.
1: Hey, and Brianna, dude, just walked into the room again. Didn't we just discuss? I thought she was at the range. I thought you were at the range. I was. But you, you you got special... Yeah. dispensation to come in and be on the podcast yes. Well, come over here share that no, 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 no,
2: no it's easier if i, if okay. I do it yeah All
1: right. yeah i to say you st- i don't want you leaving because you sound smarter than me <laughs> <laughs>
3: I can get another chair.
1: All right, let me catch you up really quick um we are we're talking about suicide prevention okay. okay yeah which i think i i messaged you i told you about that
4: yes you did
1: okay so my my question for you is if someone reaches out Um, doesn't that sort of insinuate they want help? They don't want to necessarily kill themselves that they want somebody to talk them. Talk me out of this decision.
5: I think that's a very good aspect that you brought up. Uh, if an individual is coming to you, they're showing you signs. It's probably telling you that I haven't made my decision yet. Mm -hmm. Maybe that person doesn't want to die. And one of the key factors is that that person is still there. They haven't made that decision or else they may have would have already went and completed the act. So a person talking to you kind of says that maybe I'm looking for a reason to live. Right. Maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel and maybe I just need to be shown that. Uh, the question that you had asked us earlier, uh, you know, what are some of the steps that we take? One of the biggest steps is just to be able to let that person talk and you listen. Mm-hmm. Listen to what they're saying. Uh, you may be able to pick up on something that says I don't want to die. If that person is talking about things that they want to do in their future, I was hoping I could do this. Maybe I can do that. You can use that to try to help that person make that decision between life and death. They they show that life side that maybe there is a little bit of hope that's there. And in all actuality, that's all you really need to help uh, a person save their life is just a little bit of hope. When a person loses all hope, then it's kind of hard to pull a person back from that.
1: I'm going to ask a question of the, the helpers helping the helpers here. So what kind of stress does that put you all under knowing in a way that you've got this person's life in your hands?
3: I'm under no stress at all. Really? No, I'm not because for me, I'm like, what an opportunity I have to be able to equip someone to be a better helper, you know, to see that coworker who's, um, dealing with kids at home because of COVID to, mm-hmm. you know, see that person who's having financial difficulties, you know, additional relationship stress, um, like you were saying, dealing with deployments, being at home, mm-hmm. altering their whole lifestyles because of, you know, things that we as people in the military are used to. I get excited because I'm like, man, I get to help this person be able to be in a better position to help other people. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, do all this stuff in the community. when you have all these trainings and we're teaching people how to look out for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't only stop with the people at work, you know, we have teenagers, um, suicides with that age range, you know, historically have been increasing each mm-hmm. year. And so, you know, you have other family members, you have, um, you know, strangers who you can pick up on some things and be able to help. So, I love, you know, being able to help people help others because like Kenya said, you know, it's all of our responsibilities to reduce suicide. We all have an active role and a lot of people think, okay, I'm not, I haven't had a certain training, suicide prevention training. I haven't taken any college classes. Um, I haven't, I don't have a degree in, you know, social sciences that helps me pick up on psychological stuff and, you know, mental health, but you don't necessarily need all of that like it's easy um it can be and so we're just trying to increase that awareness make people better equipped and um just go from there you know the more we have these conversations the more comfortable people get with um asking the question with picking up those signs um picking up on those signs with you know checking in with making it their responsibility to look out for each other and it's not only other people Sometimes, and a lot of the times, the big thing with suicide is that people are dealing with these, these feelings, um, but they don't want to come out and say anything because of the stigma you know, of being seen as uh, weak with other people knowing that they're having these issues. But mm-hmm. you have to be able to do some self-evaluations and pick up on when that stuff is going on with you, especially with everything that we're going through now. you know, mm-hmm. Definitely. We always um, look out for others, but it's important to be able to pick up on that stuff. And you know, if I need to take a day off, um, go seek some help for myself, do some self care, to be able to you know mm-hmm. feel comfortable doing that as well. So, well that yeah.
1: is that is an incredibly positive attitude mm-hmm. uh, yeah, towards is. it, and I think that's that's got to help yeah. having coming to people with that attitude. So you you mentioned signs. And that, So what are some of the signs that people should look for in their friends, family, loved ones, and coworkers?
5: That's, that's a good question. Uh, a lot of people are very familiar with some of the basic signs. Uh, people say, well, someone may be giving away uh, their items. Uh, individual that may seem like they are depressed. Uh, you have individuals that actually talk about suicide or they joke about suicide. That is the actual sign. One of the things that we teach in our classes here on the uh, installation And it's one of the signs a lot of people miss is an individual that may be extremely happy. And and one of those reasons is that maybe that person has been in that down place for so long Mm -hmm. that they've come to terms with the fact that suicide is okay for me. I've made up my mind and I'm happy that I've made up my mind. And then all of a sudden you see a drastic turnaround in that individual from being way low to way high. We usually look at the fact that someone being way high And go low, but it could be the the opposite of that. And so Mm -hmm. realizing that those are some of the things uh, that we should look for. um, Really, an indication of a person being at risk could almost be anything outside of that person's character. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. as Janine was kind of alluding to earlier, sometimes what it boils down to is really getting to know people at a deeper level than what we really think. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we think just because John comes in in the morning and drinks all the coffee out the pot and he doesn't make another pot that, you know, that's all we know about him. But Mm -hmm. what makes that person tick? What gets them upset? What motivates them? What makes them happy? What makes them sad? The more conversations that we have with each other, the more we learn about each other, then it makes it a little easier to spot those warning signs when something may be uh, off. Um, And Janin has alluded to this earlier as well. We have to have the conversation about suicide. Suicide is a very taboo topic uh, in the Western culture that we live in. Uh, I've talked to family members that I know about. Uh, I had a family member who died by suicide. And when I say, "Hey, do you guys remember when you know this person killed themselves?" Oh, he didn't do that. Yes, he did. We're we're afraid to really get out there and talk about it. And unless we talk about it and bring it to the forefront. It's going to be really hard to get at the problem of solving um, the epidemic that we're having uh, with suicide. And so one of the biggest things is just to say it, talk about it, get it out there in the open, because once you talk about it, then there's a good chance that another individual will become more comfortable. And also doing that says this person that's afraid to come forward and say something, they see that you have a willingness to talk. They see that you have a willingness to hear They see that you have that ability to maybe offer some resources, and that may be the thing that brings that person forward. Instead of putting everything in a box, tightening it up, locking it, where no one can see anything, let's put it out there so people can have the opportunity to see who's available to help.
3: Right. A big thing is also normalizing Mm -hmm. um, suicide. You know, I say in some of the briefings that we do that we often think of, you know, situations that we hear about, whether it's someone that, you know, someone in the news, um, or some celebrity that you don't know, but you, you know, you feel like, you know, because Mm -hmm. you're a fan. Mm -hmm. Um, we're like, Oh my gosh, that's, you know, that's, that's terrible. That's awful. I feel so sad for their family. You sympathize, you empathize, but you don't really think that suicide is something that you will have to deal with personally. Um, that it can't happen to you, that it won't happen to you. You know what suicide is, but it's something that happens to other people, right? And just like, you know, if you're a runner and you have a knee injury or um, a a foot injury, we break our bones, we, you know, sneeze, we get colds, we go to the doctor, like, we have to realize that suicide is a viable option for some people. Some Mm -hmm. people will never go that way. Some people might go that way, but it's something that we have to get comfortable with. Like Kenya was saying, like if we just think that it's something that happens to other people, you know, and not us, like how much are we really be, will we really be able to help? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's kind of like distant. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. But the more that we realize as humans, You know, we are in these situations and these circumstances that, you know, some we are prepared for, some that we aren't. Suicide is basically when someone is at their breaking point. Mm -hmm. And as humans, that could be any one of us at any time, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and especially with this coronavirus thing, you know, that's that's going on. It's like so many uncertainties. We're dealing with things that we never had to deal with before, grieving in ways that we... um, have never had the, you know, we're used to going to funerals, mm-hmm. being able to be at somebody's bedside at the hospital, right. um being able to travel to comfort and support family members and friends. Like, we're experiencing financial difficulties. People's are, people are losing their jobs. um Parents are stressed out because the kids have been at home since March or April. Mm-hmm. Like, we love each other, but like, you know, <laughs> how many, you know, how much time can you really spend, you know, With one another, you know, you start to, people get on top of each other, you get on people's nerves, Mm -hmm. Um, you need a break, but you can't go on vacation, can't leave the country. Like, I was supposed to be in Italy with my girlfriends on a trip this summer, can't go there, we're supposed to be in Florida last month, I'm not going there, the numbers are up. (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) you know where we can go? We can go on a walk around (laughs) our neighborhood, Mm -hmm. like we do every single
4: day. um, So have you seen the, have the suicide Numbers gone up since COVID started? Has there been a correlation?
5: Here on the installation, uh, the the numbers have not gone up. Okay. Uh, I did see there from a national standpoint, and well, I won't say national, in some states, uh, there were some suicides that that started to spike there, Mm -hmm. uh, especially within the healthcare field. Uh, A lot of individuals that were on the front lines, and if you're thinking about the things that they're seeing every day, they want to save someone, and they're not able to or they see deaths over and over and over again. And then they can't leave the hospital to go home to be with their family and friends because of the job that they have. So once again, everyone's locking everything up in a box. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things uh, that you guys had opened up the show with is to help us to understand this thing with suicide, help us wrap our minds around what would get a person to that point where they would take their life. We all have this thing that's kind of built inside of us called perception. And we all perceive things very differently. What is hot for me may be warm to you. Sure. And so when we think about an individual that may be at risk of suicide, we cannot look at the things from our own eyes. We have to see it from that person's eyes because that person's perception is their reality. And so in some of the trainings um, we ask, we ask questions to get people really involved. And we ask the question, how many people have learned how to ride a bike? People Mm -hmm. raised their hands. Sure. All right. How many people fail? when you're learning how to ride that bike and people say, yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So how many people had someone that was there? It doesn't matter who it was that said, Hey, get back up on the bike. That didn't hurt. Well, how do you know that didn't hurt when you're not the one that fell? And that's what we tend to do with people who are at risk of suicide. We try to tell them how to feel, tell them what they're experiencing when really we need to sit back and listen the story that they have to tell us, so that we can best maybe help that person decide what resource do you need. Maybe there's something that can help with that. Oftentimes, individuals don't want you to solve their problems; right. they mm-hmm. just want you to listen.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. So, Brianna, I'm going to breach a subject, and and if it's not cool, you just s- say, and <laughs> I'll just cut this out of the the podcast. Yeah. Um, and that is, I know you've had a brush with. um, Suicidal uh, thoughts. Yes, in the past. I have. Uh, would you mind sharing? Yeah, with all of us because uh, you talked about it a little bit once on the, on the podcast.
4: Yeah. Oh man, I might cry though. That's, <laughs> that's if fine. you're okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, whew, it's gonna be hard. <laughs> um, yeah. So a um, couple years ago, I was going through a rough time. Probably the the hardest. Time I've ever felt in my life. Um, I was experiencing a lot of um, really similar uh, things to kind of what's happening now. Um, I had, uh, um, I reported a uh, sexual assault that Mm -hmm. um, I experienced with someone that I trusted that was in my unit. And, um, initially everyone, it seemed like everyone was going to support me and, um, that's not really what happened. I kind of was ostracized from my unit and they tried to push me out of the unit. Actually, um, I was, uh, reassigned to another unit, but I was able to stop it. So I was able to stay in my unit, but I still had to work with, um, the person mm-hmm. and, um, I just felt, a. Uh, like people didn't believe me um and uh my character was being questioned and I had never so this happened when I was in Korea Mm -hmm. and so I was by myself and I felt like I didn't have I didn't have my family or my friends that I was close with um so I felt really isolated um and really down and I, I was uh I was taking a lot of medication for some pain that I was in. I have a few medical conditions, but um, I hadn't gotten the pain under control. Okay. So um, I was uh, using the medication to kind of help me feel better, which is wrong. Um, uh, But that is what I did. And And it was so weird because... I ended up winning my case because um, there were cameras and I had evidence. Um, so, and I thought when I would win that I'd feel better, <laughs> but I didn't because um, people were still blaming me and they made it seem like I had ruined this person's career, or that I'd, I'd ruined their life. Um, and I felt so down and um, I did uh, want to end my life. and uh, But I called uh, the uh, suicide hotline for mm-hmm. veterans and, um, and I talked with him for several hours and I did try to, um, I, I did want them to change my mind cause right. I didn't really want to do it. Um, but I also did at the same, I was conflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tried to like, you know, they suggested to go out and do something that would kind of like, um, let you allow you to like, look forward to something. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, okay, let me go shop yeah. because I like, to go shopping, right? There with <laughs> right you. Like most girls, <laughs> right, right, there there. With you. <laughs> right? So I was like, maybe I can find, if I find like a cute outfit that I can wear in the future, that'll like make all these thoughts go away, you know? And I spent all day and, and I, I bought a couple things, but I still felt like so empty inside, you know? And I just felt like nothing would fill that void, like that darkness I was feeling. Um, so, um, I got back home and I still wanted to do it. Um, but I, I had met, the, I had actually, so I had to ask somebody for the number because I didn't remember. Like I, I usually had the card on me, but I, I lost it. So I had messaged someone if they knew the number. And so a couple hours later, he messaged me again, and he was like, "Are you okay?" And, and I said, "No, not really, but I'm trying." And so he asked if he could come over, and I said yes. And so he stayed with me, and and so he's really the reason why um, that I'm still here, which I'm very grateful for because. Once I was able to get over that day, like that night, like the next morning, like I still felt sad, but like it was not nearly as like oppressive as I felt the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was what really helped me out the so most. So
1: it was the human interaction that someone yes. cared. Yeah. Someone stepped into your life and yeah. cared.
4: Yeah, they did. Yeah, and and like I, I do feel like the people on the phone, like I, I do feel like they're empathizing. I could tell that they where they had a lot of emotional maturity. And I did feel like they understood, but I felt like they couldn't relate. And I mean, it did help because that person was in my unit and I know that they believe me and that um, they trusted me. But I was so paranoid still about the whole situation. There are other factors that went into um, my case. Um, people were trying to get me in trouble and I I still don't know who that was and I probably won't know. So I like the, I still even fully couldn't trust him, but I had no choice because I was so distraught and I knew I needed somebody. So um, yeah, that there was just so many factors that, that could have gone wrong, but you know, that, that did go wrong, but you know, obviously some things went right. So, yeah.
5: Well, I I will say this Um, one um, definitely kudos to the individual uh, that spent that time texting you and giving you that information. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what we want people uh, to do. We want people to be there, be there for your buddy, be there for your family, be there for your soldiers, be there for your country, be there for yourself. Right. And with saying that, you know, that individual helped you. Yeah. But in the overall aspect of it, you made the decision that yes. you wanted to live. And I think a lot of people kind of get off on that side. Well, you know, I need to try to save someone's life. I need to do this, that, and that's fine and dandy. But when that individual makes that determination that, hey, I want to live, it says a lot about that individual, about the resiliency that you have, and you're yet still here and you're yet still pushing forward. So there's a lot of credit that goes to you as well, along with that individual that helped you. And and that's what it's all about. It's the community helping each other. Mm -hmm. You make someone else stronger. I, I can almost guarantee and maybe I'm stepping out there to put my foot in my mouth, because of the experience that she's went through, she understands it now she may be more willing to help another individual
1: well and yeah, just right. you know you're sharing your experience here on the show today, yeah, if someone's listening, mm-hmm. you may have helped then, definitely, oh yeah, I that's, didn't even think about it like that no that's true <laughs> that's true, that's the yeah. truth um and i just want to say i think it's just hearing you tell that story makes me emotional i get so mad that someone could push someone to that point yeah you know i'm sure no one intentionally Mm -hmm. thought they were doing that but that just makes i think it makes it apparent that we need to be cognizant of our own actions around each other because just like you said You need to be able to know someone to recognize the signs. You need to be able to know those around you to know if maybe what you're doing is not the right thing, Mm -hmm. if if that makes sense.
4: Yes. Well, so for me, like I was pretty good at hiding it because I had been having those thoughts for a while, Um, but I I didn't want, like you mentioned earlier, I didn't want to appear weak or you know, um, unstable, things like that, um, because I was still trying to, you know, put on that front that I was okay. Um, And, you know, other things that were affecting me, like, you know, I'd walk into a room, and people would stop talking, or like people were avoiding me and things like that. Um, And so I felt like even the people that knew me couldn't even notice it, um, which is why I think so many people you know, don't see the signs because, you know, I've been there and I, I like, I feel it's easy to hide. For me, it's easy to hide my true emotions, mm-hmm. especially when I'm at work. Cause I try to, um, separate, you know, into work mode. And then when I'm in my, my relaxing mode or my normal mode. Um, so I, I feel like it can be difficult and I feel like, and I feel bad when people blame themselves. If, if someone does choose to take their life and they didn't notice, um, I, I feel like if it's that person's decision, then they will still do it, and it, it's really not on them, you right. know. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, that's when we can talk about um risk factors, right? So, mm-hmm. we touched on warning signs, so let's discuss some of the risk factors, okay? So, if you um, I always say that there's people like me who are social butterflies who are outgoing, like if something's going on with my kids at home, um, I'm going to tell you about it. I'm walking in, they're like, oh, how are you? And I'm like, I'm tired because those (laughs) kids kept me up last night. Let me tell you, I'm looking forward to Saturday because I'm going to sleep in. Um, Yeah. And then there's other people who, you know, more introverts, don't feel comfortable with sharing their business, and that's understandable. That's okay. Um, But when we know that someone, people are going through, you know, certain situations that can make them more at risk, we should take those opportunities to, you know, check in, with each other more Um, in your case, you know, would have been, Hey, I know this stuff is going on for me. You know, I would have approached it like I want to make sure that you know that I want you to be okay. If you need someone to talk to um, I'm here, I'm going to, you know, check on you. I'm probably going to start to get on your nerves because you're going to be like, this girl (laughs) keeps on calling me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, some of those things are, you know, financial problems relationship problems you talked about the transitions that we have especially in the army with pcsing mm-hmm. um with deployments if the person has had suicidal um thoughts or has attempted suicide before has a close family member that has done so that puts him or her at an increased risk for suicide yeah
5: the, the domestic violence um ucmj actions you know we see that a lot individual you know gets hit with some ucmj and then they may, um, you know, say something in reference to suicide. Uh, we talked about that stress factor when it Mm -hmm. comes to the the job, um, occupational hazards and things of that nature. All of those could be, uh, the different risk factors that puts a person, um, at a higher risk for uh, attempting suicide or completing the suicide. Um, one of the things that we really try to reach out to people to get them to understand, especially when you're talking with someone who may be at risk, uh, any help that you try to give is better than no help at all any attempt that you make is better than not making an attempt uh but one of the things we want people to understand is there's a lot of things out there that we say that we believe in that could cause more harm than good to some individuals hmm. so when you hear the cliche that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem yeah uh people's like you know i wholeheartedly believe that there's nothing that you can't get over you know once you do it that's it yeah and you're absolutely right to a point when a person makes the decision to suicide, you're not coming back. It's over. The part that we don't pay attention to is that temporary problem. Every reason that a person may have to think about suicide or to even complete a suicide may not be because that problem is temporary. It can be very permanent. Cause remember earlier I said that uh, a person's perception is their reality. Mm-hmm. And so For us to say that that problem is temporary, it may be temporary for you, but that's not temporary for me. You know, you get divorced and you say, I can move on with my life. I get divorced. That can be the thing that just rots my world. And so we have this thing that we call intent versus impact. Okay. The intent of you saying that is that, hey, I really want to help you. Let me help you try to get over this. But the impact that it has on that individual is really saying, you just minimize my problem. Instead of really listening to what I'm going through, you minimize it to say, hey, it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. We'll get you through this. When really I need to speak about my problem because it's bigger than what I think it is. You see it as a molehill, but I see it as a mountain. My thing would be to come in and say, "Okay, how can we conquer that mountain? How can I assist you to maybe we make that mountain a molehill and get past what it is that you see? And it may be a permanent thing for that individual but they may see it on the other end once they come out on the other side that, hey, that wasn't that really that bad. Because all too often, I think we've all probably experienced this, when something happens right at the spur of the moment, mm-hmm. it looks a lot worse than what oh, it absolutely.
1: is. Oh, yeah. Right. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: And that's that perception thing again, right? Right. What's, um, so you have two rocks, right? I give you the rock, you say, oh, you know, you go to the gym five times a week. This rock isn't heavy. Mm-hmm. The rock is, both of our rocks are eight pounds but I never worked out a day in my life. So you're just like, Oh, give me like, give me five more rocks. Come on. And I'm just like, man, I'm sweating. Like this, this rock is heavy. Like I need to, I need to take a seat. I need some water. And so same rocks.
1: No, I, different I, ways to, I get you know, that. you know, when I uh, was running a company, there would sometimes be unforeseen things that would happen. And all of a sudden it would just seem like, well, that's the end of the company. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And I'd say that verbally. Well, we're done. Um, <laughs> You know, go walk around the block a couple times, mm-hmm. let it sink in, let it think about it. I'd come back and I'd say, no, 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 here's how we fix this. Yeah. You know, here's my solution. So it is about perception. Mm-hmm. And I think a little bit in time, yeah. too. I think what I think um, a lot of people who aren't in the military don't understand is while the military is one big community, we're all united by uh, a common theme and, and experiences. Yes. A lot of people. When you, when you join up and then you go to a duty station, it doesn't have to be overseas. It can be in America. Uh, you've got a safety net where you lived, be it friends or family or or what have you. And then when you go to a, uh, a new duty location, at, let's say Fort Hood, your family's not there anymore. Right. Your friends aren't there anymore. So when you get into stressful situations suddenly your safety net is gone and it's just you especially if the stressful situation is work related right. because let's face it that's probably where it's going to be and there's some maybe somebody in your office maybe you guys just clash mm-hmm. or or maybe you just feel kind of lost cuz there was a team effort you know a team that was already built up and now you're thrown into the mix and nobody knows you mm-hmm. And nobody trusts you because you're the new person. Um, so the army has unique stresses like that. If for a civilian, you know, you got to imagine, imagine that you picked up and wherever you live right now, and just moved across country, and the only uh, the only thing you had to do with your family now was was via phone calls, and anything that came up, money problems, whatever. I mean, you were on your own. That is a tough situation, and that's why it's important to remember that even when it seems really bad here, even when you're, you just don't know where to turn, there's people like you that are just waiting. You are there for them. Mm-hmm. Right. So if someone needs to get in touch with you, how do they do it?
5: Oh, They can always call um, the Suicide Prevention Office. Uh, the number there in my office is 287-0640. Uh, if for some reason uh, an individual is not able to get a hold of us because we're not always in the office, a lot of times we're at units and schools doing different activities and trainings, uh, they can always call 287-7575. Uh, that is our headquarters office, and they can try to get a, a number to us. Or they can call 287-CHAP. That is the uh, 24-hour hotline here on the installation where the chaplains are monitoring that. And those individuals can always uh, call there, speak to a chaplain, and then maybe that chaplain can get them on to another resource that they may need, uh, i.e. MFLAC, or maybe try to get that individual to behavioral health or to the emergency room or any other medical resource that may be provided as well.
1: And, and calling a chaplain, they're not going to jam religion down your throat. No. No, 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 no. They are there to help you. To listen, to understand, and to guide you. Mm-hmm. So don't don't worry about that, right? You know. Definitely. <laughs> um, and so I, I really want to take this. So somebody's having these thoughts, and they contact you. Let's say that they, at the end of the day, needed a little more help than you can provide. Mm-hmm. Like let's say they needed to go to, Cardamsey, the the uh, little hospital here, to to sort of get next level help Mm -hmm. what happens there do you know Wow, um it
5: it all depends on the situation if an individual calls us uh first of all what we will tell individuals is that we're we're not a hotline Mm -hmm. but we are there to assist if need be uh we will talk to that individual try to get as much information as we can um if it's a soldier uh we will try to get information to his uh to where his unit is at, his mm-hmm. first line leader, so that they can intervene and get that individual and then try to get them to take them to Credamcy or the behavioral health office, uh, embedded behavioral health in the units, and then they can take it from there. Okay. Um, can't really speak to the process that goes on uh, while they're at behavioral health or at Credamcy, uh, but I do know that there are individuals that are there that are just as caring as the suicide prevention program is that is willing to do what it takes to help You know those soldiers see a different uh, light, if you will, Mm -hmm. outside of that. Um, One of the things I think we really have to let individuals know is just operate within your role. You know, Mm -hmm. if you don't feel comfortable really talking with that person, talk with them long enough to let them know, hey, I really care about you, but I'm only comfortable with with this. You're being honest with that individual. Let me get you to someone that I know may be able to, to take you the rest of the way. So really, when you're talking about helping individuals uh, when it comes to suicide prevention, it's all about a relay race. You don't run the whole race by yourself. So even us, we're we're very highly trained, uh, skilled uh, individuals. Some of us are counselors, social workers, mental health workers in the suicide prevention office. But with that, we want to do our role and then get that individual on and do a battle handoff with somebody else. So that way, everything doesn't fall upon one individual. Everyone takes an active part in helping that individual hopefully save their life.
1: Great. Dave, I know Brianna stole the, the mic from you. Um, do you have, do you have anything?
2: No, I mean, uh, the, the perception is key. We talked about COVID and how it was affecting the, uh, the, um, the, the folks, um, out there and not so much here, but how has COVID affected your operation, your ability to train and, and go, go out among the units and, and do, do your thing? Yeah. Um, it's affected us in, in a lot of different ways.
5: Uh, some of the trainings that we would normally offer on the installation, uh, we we're not able to offer those right now because of the spacing requirements. Right. Uh, the training center that we had, they had to close it down. Uh, We were not able to get the six foot requirements in there for the large number of classes uh, that we have. Sure. Uh, The same thing as far as going out to the units. You know, we want to be out there with the units and doing the training. But with the six foot social uh, distance and doing the temperature checks and things of that nature, if all of that is not in place, then, you know, we don't want to put ourselves at risk. And we definitely don't want to put the units at risk Mm -hmm. uh, for passing this COVID on. So some of those things have kind of been kind of nailed down. Uh, we are really reaching out to our DA civilians uh, for their annual requirement. Uh, we do have Palmer Theater that we were working at, giving suicide prevention and okay. awareness classes. Uh, Extra-large facility, we can only have 50 people at a time. Everything is socially distanced out well beyond the six
2: feet. So you got to work around And we have yeah. to try
5: to work around it. And right now uh, I'm working with uh, Ms. Melendez and Ms. Bright, Uh, along with other agencies on the installation to see how can we come up with something where we can still be able to provide this training because suicide is not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't have a face on it. You know, it doesn't have a color to it. So we have to actively stay after this and a part of our program is always being proactive rather than being reactive to suicide. Right. Right. Outstanding.
1: Well, I want to thank you both for, for stopping by today. This was heavy. It was heavy, but very important. Uh, if you could give out those numbers one last time um, so that, you know, people, maybe they didn't catch them okay. the first uh, time around.
5: One of the first numbers I want to give you, uh, if for some reason you're, you're just in dire need and you really need uh, some help immediately, we asked you to call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That number is 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-TALK. Also, the Suicide Prevention Office, if you need any type of training and if you need some type of assistance, that is 254-287-0640. Or the chaplain hotline here on the installation, 287-CHAP. 287-CHAP.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much. Very good. Hopefully... If you're out there and you're hurting, you're able to reach out and get the help you need because we want you to stay around. We definitely. we want we don't want you guys going anywhere. Definitely. And
3: know that it's okay not to be okay. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And with that, uh, we'll pause for a little commercial message, non-commercial, it's a PSA, uh, <laughs> and uh, be back with some final thoughts.
0: Eight, nine, ten. Crikey, here goes
5: another one. Hey, what do you think you're doing? I'm trying to work out here. Oh, what you are. But so is everyone else, mate. Just get out of the way and let me put these weights back. Now, that's just it, mate. You gotta be real careful about how you do that, boy, Crikey. Because the next thing you know, someone will be right behind you. You won't even see them coming. They'll sneak right up on you. And if these weights aren't in the right place, well, they just might bite you. Thanks, Outback Jack. I didn't realize the dangers of my actions. Now I know the proper weight placement isn't just an option. It's the right thing to do. Oh, champion. You've got it now, mate.
0: Fort Hood's great big podcast. Close enough for the government. Good enough for you.
3: Coming on strong on a my-
1: Okay, and we're back, and, and Brianna, before we go any further, I want to really thank you for, for sharing your story. I know that can't be easy, especially Absolutely. on a, in a national platform yeah. well, thank like you. this, but no, thank you, because oh. <laughs> seriously, yeah. and I do want to bring up the fact that you walked into the show again. Again. <laughs> yes. Three weeks middle, running now. Middle. Three weeks in that a row. That is, you know, we we joked last it's week. It's her shtick. Yeah, and now it actually is. Yeah. <laughs> So I uh, bet we thought you were supposed to be at range. You were on range I was, patrol. Yes. So what's up? You d- did you get a special thing? There?
4: Well, it got canceled today. Oh. So. No paddle but for you. Too yes. many cows. Yeah. <laughs> no, there were there were less cows in the evening, but I think uh people were just tired at that point.
1: Well, you know what they say: cows in the morning, soldiers take warning; cows at night, soldiers delight. Take flight. Yeah, whatever. No, that'd be Air Force. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be Air, Air Force. Force? Yeah. No, it's,
2: this is Beef Country.
1: Oh, uh, that's true. Steak. Oh, yes, take, take <laughs> that's right. That's right. How's the uh, How's the range going? Because this uh, Have you ever run a range
4: before? No, this is the first time. So what's the band What's the experience? Range. Like. It's It's strange. Is it musical it's, at all? No, there's not a shred of music <laughs> out there, except maybe the cows singing, mooing to us. <laughs>
1: Softly moving from yeah, oh, yeah. the distance. Send, send yeah, no, it's range. so
4: there. There's a little bit more than I was. So it's about the level of prepa- like preparedness I was expecting. Um, just not knowing what fully goes into opening a range, maintaining mm-hmm. it, closing it. Um, but it's a little bit easier than I was thinking in my brain.
1: But you still have, I think you you've developed a, a level of respect for those that have to.
4: Oh yes, for sure. For sure. It's, it's, uh, it, it was eye-opening to be like, wow, this is you have to make sure this is going, and you can't run out of this at any time, and just little bitty things here and, and there. There's a lot
1: of safety concerns for soldiers yes. and cows. Yeah. Yes, for the cows. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw it, but if you go to the Fort Hood broadcast operation page... So you're going to have to go to last week. Which
2: is now home to the
1: podcast. Yes, that's, the, that's yes. the new podcast page. So if you're still going to the old page and going, what,
4: where is this? There's no updates.
1: Yeah, that's because we're not there anymore. Yeah. Um, but if you go there, there is a video that the band shot of Brianna oh, yeah. discussing about <laughs> chasing cows yes. off the range. So go watch yeah. that. If you haven't seen it, watch that. Could have
2: had a lot of free steak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: of course. But, you know, anytime a cow gets its wings, so to speak, on Fort Hood. <laughs> um, we do have to pay the farmer that owns the cow. It's true, not true. They're not Fort Hood cows. They're actually owned by people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah.
4: and we have have to pay hypothetically also.
1: Hypothetical cows? Yes. What does that mean?
4: So, not only does the army pay for the cow, you have to they have to pay for the cow's potential future offspring. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. So, we're paying not pay for only for the progeny. That's right. Yes, Even though they didn't the potential, so it's kind of ironic that we're paying double.
1: So uh, the lesson there is don't hurt the cows. Yes, right. That's right. Be Mm -hmm. careful with the cows Mm -hmm. because people do. uh, I got a phone call once at my desk, and it was some guy, and you know, ringing. Hey, Charlie May, public affairs. How can I help you? Mm -hmm. And uh, what happens if you accidentally hit a cow? (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, asking for a friend, sir? <laughs> or, uh... Yeah. So, I mean, you do have to be careful. Fort Hood's a big place. Mm-hmm. There's free Roman cattle out there. You'll see the signs. Yep, if you drive a lot around. of land, yeah. So, well, I think that's about all the time we have for this week. Uh, this was a heavy show, but a good one. It's oh. been real. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: it's important, though, to have those difficult conversations.
1: No, it is. It is, and that's what... I don't want to toot our horn, but I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I like about the podcast, is, you know, we try to be as absolutely real as we can. Right. We, have, mm-hmm. we try to have those hard conversations. Because mm-hmm. it's, like you said, it's important. Well, we will see y'all next week. Uh, and until then, stay happy and stay safe.
2: Broken <laughs> heart.